Um, you know, when, when we think about 9-11, uh, we often think about the, the first responders and we think about a lot of the people who I, I think had more uh, a higher visibility in the rescue operation of all of that and being involved in all of that. Uh, but I was unaware until this last week when I was uh, just doing some reading about 9-11 and watching some videos of, of various things. I, I saw something that I didn't realize and, and that was about how many people were evacuated off of Lower Manhattan by boats. Um, and some of you may or may not be aware, but you know, Manhattan is an island. And after the, uh, the planes crashed into the towers, they closed the bridges to get off the island. And so people were literally stuck. They were stuck there. Of course, these, the, the smoke is taking over the island. And people had made their way to the piers and were trying to find a way off. And there were people in boats that saw them and began to actually go up to the piers. There are obviously ferries that were loading to capacity and getting people off. But other boats saw that and began to go. The Coast Guard saw the boats going there, realized what was going on. They made a, a call out uh, to the harbor. You know, anyone who has a boat, if you're willing to help, come, you know, come to the, to the docks. You know, help get people off of the island. Show, throw that picture up on the screen. And you can get a picture of all these boats. The, the inner guard, when they had the, the guy from the Coast Guard, when they were interviewing on this video that I watched, he said he couldn't believe when they, when they got there, when they were starting out with their first load, they saw literally uh, over 100 boats. I think they said all in total, there were over 150 boats that responded. Uh, obviously, some of them were the big ferries that they had uh, and some of the Coast Guard boats, but a lot of them were little tugboats and people with yachts and, and smaller boats that everybody really basically that had something that would float were, were coming to the island, uh, coming to Manhattan to try to get people off. Now, just to give you a perspective of, of this, if you can imagine how many people you think you could get off the island in a day, in nine hours, they evacuated over 500,000 people. Half a million. Let that number just sink in. In nine hours, they got over half a million people off of that island. And, uh, you know, kind of in contrast, you think about uh, in, in, in wartime, some of you remember this, the story of Dunkirk when they were trying to evacuate the, the French and, and Belgium and British soldiers from, uh, from, from Dunkirk. And uh, over the course of nine days, they evacuated like 350,000, you know, soldiers off of there over nine days. In nine hours, over half a million people got off of lower Manhattan. And I, when I was watching this and I was, I was listening to the interviews and people who had big boats and small boats, one of the things I did realize is you'll notice that most of the boats were small. And I, I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder how many people with small boats saw some of these big ferries and saw some of these big Coast Guard boats and thought to themselves, you know, my little boat's not going to make much of a difference. But I guarantee you it made a difference to the people who got on that boat. You know, whether it was five people or 15 people or however many their boat could hold, they filled them to capacity. I guarantee you it made a difference to them. And I think that's just a really important thought for us to keep in mind. You know, we're in this series called Living a Life That Matters. And we're talking about allowing God to use us to make a difference in this world. And I think sometimes we're like that. I, I, I think sometimes we, we see the big boats. You know, we see people that we think are really talented and, and we see people who have lots of great gifts and we go, wow, I could never do anything like that. You know, what I have to offer isn't anything compared to something like that or somebody like that. 
And yet the deal is that every single one of us have an opportunity to make a contribution to the kingdom of God, no matter what that role may be. You know, it was really interesting in the, uh, in the first service, Pastor Salvador, um, when he was making the announcements, he was talking about our, our appeal for volunteers for our children's ministry. And he said, you know what's so interesting? He said, why this is so important to me. He goes, I was five years old and, and living in Mexico when a woman came to the door of our home, uh, her name was Janet, and she knocked on the door, and she asked my family if they would allow her to take me to Sunday school. And he said, that was my first beginnings of going to church. And he said, and I never stopped going. It was through that invitation and, and her help that he came to church, that he got saved, that he eventually felt God's call on his life. And as I'm listening to Salvador tell, tell his story, I'm thinking, you know, here's, her name was Janet. And said she was like one of these little boats in the harbor. You know, probably thought, you know, maybe, maybe my little part in the kingdom doesn't make much of a difference. All I do is I help out with kids. But here is this woman in Mexico who gave an invitation to Salvador. Just think this thought with me. It was through her invitation that he came to church and came to Christ. Every single person that Salvador reaches in his ministry, every single soul that he has led to Christ, every single marriage that he has helped, every single person that he has helped encourage along the way, Janet's handprint is on that. Because Salvador wouldn't be doing what he's doing for God if Janet hadn't done what she did for God. Does this make sense to you? Now, this is just really important to me. Because it, we, when we think about God calling us and allowing us to, you know, allowing our lives to be used by him, sometimes we're thinking about, I've got to be a big boat. No, you don't. All you have to do is fulfill what God has for you. And that's what I want to talk about today. We've entered a series called Living a Life That Matters, and we've been tracking the story of Moses's life. And last week, we talked about the fact that Moses has fled from Egypt and he goes to this mountain, and he's tending his father-in-law's sheep, and he, God speaks to him through this burning bush, and he has this real awakening moment, and, and he discovers that he, you can run from God, but you can't hide. And, uh, and now, I want us to look today at what God says to Moses and how staggering it was. So if you want to take your sermon outline out, you can track along with me. We'll throw it up on the screen. Here's what the Lord said to Moses when he finally got his attention. <clears throat> the Lord said, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. Now, again, just put yourself in Moses' place, where a, a place that you've fled because you're wanted for murder, and God saying, I want you to go back there, you know, back there, back to Pharaoh. <clears throat> he said, you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. The, the elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with me. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Listen to this. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. And then at last he 
will let you go. Repeat out loud after me. It's not about me. Say it again. It's not about me. That's the big idea that I want to really drive home to you today. Because whenever I talk to people about allowing God to use them and, and stepping into their place, all of a sudden people tend to, to want to back up a bit and go, you know what, I, I just don't know that I have all that much to offer. But here's the deal. Here's what the Bible is very clear about. If you are a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, if his spirit lives in you, then you are just as called to ministry as I am as a pastor. Not one amen. Wow. Let me try that again. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and if God's spirit lives in you, then you are just as called to ministry as I am as a pastor. Okay, I like this side better. I'm going to stay over here today. Okay. And that's, that's a real important piece to get in mind. Because we tend, we tend to want to think that, that ministry are professionals, and, and it's not. Every single person, all these little boats in the harbor uh, were just as important to the battle as the big boats. And, and the same is true of you and I. We've got to get that. You know, we've been talking about the fact that every single one of us are loved by God. Every single one of us are precious and valuable to God. And every single one of us are a part of the plans and the purposes of God. And what I want to challenge you with today is I have no idea what it may be that God may be speaking to you about. Have no idea what God may be nudging you toward. Have no idea where God or how God might want to use you. But I want to double dog dare you to open your heart and mind to just begin to listen to him. Are you ready? I want to give you a few thoughts. I spent some time on this passage. There are a few things that I really felt God laying on my heart that I want to share with you, and I think these will really push on you a bit. Here we go. Here's the first thought I want to give you. If God is calling you, you need to take the lid off of your imagination. You need to take the lid off of your imagination. Now, here's what I say, why I say this. We tend to put God in a box. We tend to think, especially when it comes to God using me, we, we tend to keep God right here and say, well, you know, maybe I could do this or maybe I could do that. No, 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 no. You got it wrong. It's not about you. It's about him. And if it's about God, then he can do things through you that you never even begun to imagine. It would have, it would have never, how, how long, without the burning bush, how long do you think Moses would have been on that mountain before it would have ever occurred to him out of his human thinking, I had to go back to Egypt and set my people free? He would have never. Why? Because that's a divine idea. That was given to him by God. And when God steps into the picture, man, we need, to, we need to let the lid come off of our imagination because God can do things that we've never thought of. I love Ephesians 3.20. Paul says, glory belongs to God whose power is at work in us. Read it with me, church, out loud. By this power, he can do infinitely more than we can ask or ask or imagine. I love Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah says, oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Read it with me, church. Nothing is too hard for you. Read it again. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you believe that? Let me go to this side. Do you believe that? There we go. Okay. 
Somebody wake them up over here a little bit, okay? We, we, that's, it's just such an important thought that we have to grab because we, we just tend to just put God in this little box and go, I, I don't think I can do that. And Moses would have never dreamed what God can do. When we open our hearts and lives, I promise you, there's no end to it. Let, let me rewind the tape for you just a, a couple of years ago. Do you, you remember, remember when COVID hit? And you, do you remember when they shut everything down? And you couldn't go out, couldn't go to school. I know you guys weren't really terribly, you know, not, not terribly disappointed by that. But you couldn't go to school. You couldn't go out. You couldn't go anywhere. And, and, and how hard that was to be isolated. And one, one of the people groups that that was really hard on were people who were elderly. Because the elderly were more vulnerable to this thing. And so we, we saw people who were in their homes or in these care centers and, and, and nobody could be around them. Well, there were, there were these two teenage girls in Boston who became acutely aware of that. They, they realized for, for their grandparents that they couldn't get out. Throw that picture up on the screen. That's Shreya and Saffron Patel, they live in Boston. And, and they just became really aware um, that their grandparents couldn't get out. And they, so they just made it a point that they just called them regularly, just tried to call them every week, touch base with them. How you doing? How you getting along? You know, do you need anything? That kind of stuff. And just wanted to try to pick them up. Then one day they were talking, uh, Shafrin was talking to her grandmother and uh, the grandmother happened to make, uh, make a comment about the fact that she got a letter in the mail from, from a friend. And how exciting it was to get a handwritten letter in the mail and how she hasn't gotten a letter from anyone because everybody uses email and stuff, how, how exciting that was and how it felt like such a personal touch. And, and, uh, and Shreya and, and Saffron were a little bit taken back because they had been making phone calls, but they realized how much a letter meant. So they thought, well, maybe we ought to write our grandparents. And so they did. Then they got this idea. I'll bet there are a lot of other older people, particularly people in the care centers that can't get out that would really appreciate a letter. So they contacted a few of the care centers there in Boston and said, would it be okay for us to write personal letters to some of the people that you have there? And of course, the administrators were saying, oh, that would be wonderful. And so they got a list and got the names and they started writing letters and pretty soon other care centers heard about it and they were contacting and they were going, man, we can't keep up with this. They were writing so many letters. And so they, they, they recruited some other people and, and they got more people involved and the more people got involved, the more care centers that got, and it, be, it just began to spread. And throw that next picture up on the screen. No, that's not it. There we go. And, uh, and so you see these different letters and pictures that, you know, that they began to send to, to all of these people. And this thing just began to snowball. And so they began to, to recruit more and more people. And they got so big, they, they realized they had to organize. So they got some help organizing it. They, they founded their own 501c3 nonprofit organization uh, called Letters Against uh, Isolation and started recruiting volunteers from everywhere to help them write letters to people who couldn't get out. Now, this thing went crazy. And over the course of two years, if you can imagine this, this thing ended up, they ended up having over 28,000 volunteers writing letters to elderly people in seven different countries around the world, ended up writing 480,000 thousand letters to all of these people. 
just because two teenage kids got an idea. Don't ever put God in a box. Don't ever believe that God can only do this. God can do more than what we could ever ask or imagine. Amen? Amen. Let me give you a second thought. Sometimes when we, when we begin to feel the call of God, we, we begin to look in the mirror and, and we begin to look at who we are and what we can't do. And, and so this is so important. Put more faith in what God can do than in what you can't do. Put more faith in what God can do than what in you can't do. And this is why I'm saying when I was writing this, I, I tried to put myself in Moses' place. And I tried to, tried to think to myself, what, if, if God told me to go back to this country where I was a wanted felon and to try to set people free, I, I thought, you know, my first response would have been, I'd have looked in the mirror and went, I, I can't do this. You know, I, you, know, I, you, know you, get, you, you can think of a thousand reasons, you know, and, uh, I, I'm too old. You know, I, I had a knee replacement a year ago. You know, I can't, I, I can't, I can't keep up with all of this. I'm not talented enough. I, I don't have enough, you know, influence. And we, we, we tend to focus on us. Just think this thought with me. And so our faith, instead of being in God, is in us. And we don't have enough faith in us. This is why we got to go, no, 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 no. This isn't, it's not about me. I need to focus on what God can do, not what I can't do. Because that's when God gets the glory. It wasn't about people praising Moses for what Moses could do. It was about people honoring God for what God can do. When I was, when I was writing this, I, I had this thought. I thought it was pretty good. It said, if God can make everything out of nothing, he can surely make something out of you. Amen? And I, I saw this quote by D.L. Moody. Throw that up on the screen for me. Gilbert, he said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, then 40 years learning he was nobody, and then 40 discovering what God can do with a nobody. <laughs> Absolutely true. And if God can make everything out of nothing, surely he can do something with you and with me. I love this while Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Now, read this out loud with me. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And this is what it's all about. It's about God doing things through you that everybody knows you can't do that points everyone to God. Stay with me. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and, and the disciples are, are, are sharing. You, you remember what happened that day? Why, why this crowd got around them? Do you remember what happened? What, what drew their attention? Anybody? They were speaking languages that the crowd understood and, they, and the people knew these guys can't possibly know our language. How is it that we're hearing them in our language? That doesn't make sense. What was going on? They noticed that this was something that these guys couldn't do. There must be a God at work. Does that make sense to you? 
And then when you track through that, that, that was what happened all the way along. Later on in Acts, you see, you see the disciples healing people. You see, them, you see them preaching and communicating in ways that everybody knew they couldn't. In fact, one point it talks about, you know, they're looking at these guys and they're saying, you know what? These guys are uneducated, ignorant fishermen. And you know what? They were right. They were. They were just a group of uneducated, ignorant fishermen. They just happened to be filled with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God was able to do through them what they couldn't do by themselves. That pointed everyone to God. Does this make sense to you? You see, when we make ourselves available to God, it's, it's not about exalting ourselves and it's not about, you know, look what I can do. It's about saying, God, use me any way you can and people realizing, you know what, that has to be God because I know him and he's really dumb, you know. It's about pointing people back to the Lord. I, I love when they were talking about Peter and John and they they said after they interviewed him and they, they talked to him, and they, they, it says they, they, they couldn't figure these guys out, but they took note of one thing. These guys had been with Jesus. That changes everything. Put more faith in what God can do than what you can't do. Here's another piece to this. When you feel God calling you and, and you kind of get worried about how this is all going to unfold, you, you need to trust God to provide all you need to fulfill his calling. You need to trust God to provide all you need to fulfill his calling. You know, sometimes when we feel the nudge of God, particularly to do things that we, we know are really out of our comfort zone, you know, and, and we, we're stepping into places or we're maybe feeling led of God to, to start a ministry, a, a brand new ministry or do something. We're going, man, I have, you know, where's the, where, where are the people going to come? Where are the money going? We, we, we don't know. But you know what? God can provide all of that. I love Philippians 4, 19. This is just a great verse to commit to memory. Read it out loud with me, church. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Circle the word all. God can meet all of your needs. God will provide the gifting that you need. You know, when you're feeling God nudge you into, into a particular area, we get again, we get, begin to get fearful and you go, I'm not sure I, I, I'm good at that. I don't, I, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of that. I can't tell you how many men and women that I know who are full-time pastors now that told me that when they began to feel the call of God to be a pastor, they freaked out. And they, they would say things to me like, Steve, man, when God called me to ministry, he said, I, I, I about lost it because I'm thinking, I, I can't get up in front of people. You know, I can't, I can't stand up in front of people. I, I'm nervous when I get in front of people or I'm not, I'm not good at, at, at speaking. I, I, don't, I don't know that I can do it. And again, they get focused on themselves. But you know what? If God's calling you to it, he'll give you the gifts you need to fulfill it. He will. He'll provide that. Secondly, God will provide the people that you need. Not only did God empower Moses with the gifting that he needed, the courage that he needed to go back and do this, but I, I love how he tells him in advance, the elders are going to believe you. 
The elders are, are gonna be there waiting on you and you're gonna get back, you're gonna share that. And, well, and what's God saying? God's saying, Moses, I know you don't think you can communicate to us all the people on your own and you're right, but I'm gonna give you all the elders that you need and they're gonna help you communicate this. And what Moses discovered is everywhere along the way, God gave him, his, gave him Aaron to, to help him out. He gave him Miriam to help him out. He gave him the elders. Later on, in an unbelievable moment, we'll talk about later, God gave him his father-in-law to help him. Only place in history where a father-in-law's advice was actually good. It's the only time. Write me down on that. It's the only time. But we'll talk about that later. But he gave him, and it was very, very strategic. What am I saying? God gave him all the people he needed, and he'll do it for you. And lastly, God will provide the resources that you need. He'll provide the resources that you need. You know, how's this going to happen? I don't know. But God gave Moses all the resources that he needed. In fact, I love how if you follow chapter three and you track it all the way through, you know, God, Moses is going to lead a migration of people out of Egypt. We don't know how many, but at least several hundred thousand people were going to go out of, come out of Egypt. And it's like, now where are you going to find what you need to take care of all those people? And the Lord says, you know, as you leave Egypt, you're going to plunder the entire country. And I'm going to provide for you everything that you're going to need to take on the journey. God got him into the wilderness, provided manna, provided quail, provided water. God provided all they needed. You know, I look back, and I can give you, give you several examples, but one when I was writing this that just jumped out of my mind is several years ago when, when uh, I was pastoring in Phoenix, we had a summer, uh, an, an unusually hot summer. It's always hot in Phoenix. But uh, there was one summer that it was unusually hot, and there were uh, 35 homeless people who died on the streets in Phoenix because they couldn't get out of the heat. That next year, the city of Phoenix uh, invited institutions that would be willing to, uh, to open one of their facilities to give what they called a heat relief station, a place where homeless people could get out of the heat and get some water and be able to be there through the, through the hottest part of the day. And when we heard about that and they, they would ask specifically if there would be any faith-based institutions that would do that, we thought, you know, we've got like seven buildings on our campus. What if we opened one? And I remember when we talked about it on our staff, we thought, man, we have no idea. We, we, we need volunteers for that. And where are the volunteers going to come from? We're going to need to provide water. We don't know how many people are going to come, where we're going to find that in the budget. We, don't, we didn't know how any of this stuff was going to come. But we felt led of God to take a step of faith, and we did. And it was unbelievable. That first summer, we had over 300 homeless people who came to be a part of our heat, our heat relief station, the building that we opened. Um, we had volunteers that came out of everywhere, people not only in our church, but people in the community who heard about what we were doing that wanted to be a part. There were grocery stores that said, we'll give you all the water you need for free. Uh, there were people who said, you know, another grocery store said, we'll, we'll provide the snacks that you need to give them something nourishing during the day. We opened our showers to them so that they could take, they could take showers out during the day. And uh, there were people who said, you know what, we'll provide toiletries. And other people said, let's start collecting clothing. And we, we just couldn't believe as this snowball was, was growing. There was a woman who lived right next door to our church who heard about what we were doing, who came over and she said, you know, I don't go to your church, I don't go to church anywhere, but I cut hair. 
and I saw what you were doing for the, for, the, for the homeless, I would love to offer my services to come over and cut hair, cut their hair if they would like a haircut. And so she began to do that. And what was so cool is that she volunteered and stepped up and did that. She began to meet some of our people who invited her to church, and she ended up giving her life to Christ. Just a great story. First summer, we served over 300 homeless people. Second summer, over 3,000. We had no idea where the resources were going to come from, but God did. God will supply all our needs. Amen? Amen. Let me give you one last thought this morning. This is important. You need to know that if needed, God will be there with a miracle. God will be there with a miracle. Now, this is really important for me to say because there are some of you that may be feeling the nudge of God and you may begin to take a step of faith and you may be walking through some deep water and you may get to places where you go, I, I have no idea where, how it's gonna go from here. I'm gonna need a miracle of God. And you need to know he is a God who does miracles. In fact, I love in this story how God told Moses beforehand that it was going to be him who's going to, that it was going to be God who was going to have to enter in. I put this passage back in again for you. God says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go, how? Unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Then at last, he will let you go. What was God saying? God is saying, Moses, I know, I know that this is not gonna happen unless a miracle takes place. And miracles will take place. That's why I put this on your outline. You do the possible. Trust God for the miracles. Trust God for the impossible. Because God will raise his hand and he will be there. Can I circle back to the beginning? So often when we think about making ourselves available to God, we hesitate because we focus on what we can't do. Or we put God in a box and we refuse to just use our imaginations of things that God might do if we just gave him a chance. And some of it, I don't even think we can think of. But it wasn't just big boats that got people off a of lower Manhattan that day. Most of them were small boats. I would have loved, I'd love to know the storylines of those people who got on those small boats about what happened to them and their life and what they did. Because I promise you, there'd be some pretty amazing stories that would probably have never been told had some small boats not made themselves available. When Salvador was sharing today, I'll be honest with you, I got all choked up. Because I thought to myself, what if this woman in Mexico named Janet, what, what if she thought I could never do children's ministry? What if she'd have thought, I, I don't know that I'm really good at anything. I'm, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not, I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that. What, what, if, what if she would have never made herself available to God to just simply go up and knock on a door and invite a five-year-old kid to go to church? How many people 
would be lost to the kingdom of God because one woman didn't get in her small boat and go to help. Will you get in yours? I'm going to go back to what I said at the beginning. We aren't saved to sit. We're saved to serve. We're saved to be a part of a living, breathing body of Christ. And if the spirit of Christ lives in you, then God is calling you to be a part of something that's bigger than you. You need to figure out what that is. We're going to sing an old, old hymn I just love. And it goes to the heart of what we were talking about today. And that is, it's, it's not about me. It's not about who I am or what I can do. It, it really is about God and what he can do. And there's an old hymn that I just love. It just says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Will you take God at his word that he can use you? I want you to just make these next few moments just your personal time of worship. Just lean into God. Open your heart to the Lord and just listen to what it is he might want to say to you. Fathers, we come before you today. Um, we declare in your presence, it's not about us. It's not about who we are or how talented we are, how gifted we are. That's not about what we can do. It's about you. It's about who you are. It's about what you can do. Father Moses was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't anything special. But yet you used him to set an entire nation free. I wonder what you might do through some of us if we just gave you a chance. Father, we, we remember today that it, we, we don't have to have a big boat in the water to be of help. We don't have to be uh, piloting some uh, big ferry boat or or, or, or a big Coast Guard boat. We don't have to be doing any of that to, to help people. We, we could just have a little boat that maybe only five or six people could get into. But I, I know that for those, Lord, who made it off that island, they were really, really grateful. And I think of, I think of Janet, Lord. I, I think of this lady who knocked on the door of Salvador's home. And I think how the world would be a sadder place if she hadn't allowed you to use her in very simple ways to touch the heart of a young man named Salvador Hernandez and, and how you used him to bless so many people, reach so many people from your kingdom. Father, I, I pray for all of us. I, I know today that the enemy's trying to whisper in our ears and tell us that this is not for us. I, I know he's trying to remind us that we're not all of that and all of this kind of stuff. But Father, today I pray that you would just brush all of that away. And I pray today that you would help us to hear the voice of your spirit as he would speak to us to go. Lord, I have no idea what it is you might want to do or how it is you might want to use us. But, but Father, may the attitude of our heart today be Lord, here am I. Send me. Use us, Lord, in a way that bring honor and glory to your kingdom. May we live a life that truly matters. 
In your precious name we pray today. And everyone said, amen.